We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with the man, the myth, the legend, Norm Hightower. And today, our special guest from Legion 12 Radio, Corbin Smith. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Derek. Appreciate it, Norm. Good to have you on board. Okay, we're going to hop right into it right after we just remind you. Folks, give us give us a shout-out on iTunes. We need, we need those five-star reviews. We need your love. Okay, so go to iTunes, please. Give us a five-star review if you can. We're also available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and on Google Play. So, again, Rams Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Don't forget, if you need to see the rules, we have a contest going right now, both on Facebook and on iTunes. Once you join iTunes and go in there and give us a five-star review, you entered into our contest to win a $50 gift certificate to the NFL shop. Also on Facebook, once we reach 10,000 likes, we'll go ahead and hook you up with the same reward Well, if you win the contest. Corbin, you just mentioned to us, uh, before we get started on the show here, the injury situation in Seattle. How's that looking for you? I'll tell you what, it's been a rough couple of weeks for the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, about a month ago, Richard Sherman went down with an Achilles injury, so the Seahawks have been trying to patch together a secondary with him out. Camp Chancellor then a few games later, uh, actually the same game, he injured his neck, so now he's out for the season. So the Legion of Boom, not exactly in Seattle, and now Bobby Wagner looks like he's going to be very doubtful to play in this football game. He's a game-time decision dealing with a hamstring issue. K.J. Wright got concussed in Jacksonville. Maybe a little more optimistic he can get through protocol, but if they don't have those two guys, they already lost Cliff Averill. So you're talking about five Pro Bowl players on that defense alone that would not be in uniform, and 
the next man up mantra only can hold for so long. You eventually get to the point where you've got third and fourth string linebackers in the lineup, and I don't care who you're playing on Sunday, uh, you're going to have a really hard time stopping somebody when that situation happens. So the Seahawks won't make won't make excuses with it, but clearly that's a major issue going to this game against a very high-powered Rams offense, missing that many key components on defense. I'll say also defensive end Michael Bennett on the on the injury list today as well. He did not play. Uh, what's his task on him? Well, I wouldn't be worried about Michael Bennett at all. He's been missing practices throughout the year. He was dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis earlier this year, and I'm sure that's still lingering. I've had that injury before, and it takes forever when you're actually trying to play a sport during a season. You just kind of have to deal with it. He's had some knee issues as well, so I expect he's going to be fully ready to play. They're just pulling uh, veteran rest days with those guys, and some of them are a little, little bit banged up. I know Jimmy Graham, they've been doing that with all season as well. He'll miss a practice or two during a week. So I'm not concerned about any of those guys. Really what it comes down to in this game, you know, maybe there's a chance Deshaun Shedd's going to get activated, give him a little bit of a boost in the secondary. But he's been on the pub list all year recovering from a torn ACL. So not sure how he's going to be able to gel. And with this being his first game back, if that's the case. So uh, Deshaun Shedd a possibility. But really the linebacker position is what matters here. If they're put in a position where, Terrence Garvin and Michael Wilhoyt are the starters, and they have to put DJ Alexander out there sometimes. Uh, the drop-off there is incredible going from Wagner and Wright to those guys. They just don't have much depth at the position. So very concerning heading into this football game. Well, on the Week 5 matchup against the Rams and Seahawks, Wagner led the team with eight tackles against us. So then Sherman with six was second. So that's obviously a big hit to your defense for sure. Yeah, Wagner, I would expect if he's out, the Rams are going to be doing a lot of different... They're, they're going to probably go into this week with two different strategies because they don't know whether Wagner's going to play or not. And obviously your playbook is going to expand if Bobby Wagner is not on the field. You might see a lot more screens, draws. Maybe you're just going to run right at him, the backup linebacker, and try to take advantage of that. Because if you watch the Jacksonville game, once Bobby Wagner came out, the run defense just fell apart. And their backups were not doing a good job handling their gap integrity. They were missing tackles. Biggest play was an 11-yard run by Fournette at the end of the game before all the fights broke loose on the next play. So they just were not the same. Obviously a, a huge player to lose, a guy that I think is the front runner for defensive player of the year. So if he's not playing in this game, uh, that's a huge loss. And that's just as big, if not worse, than losing Earl Thomas. How is your pass rush going to match up with this offensive line with – Averill out of the game. Seattle has had to try to cycle through a number of guys at the end position with him out. Marcus Smith, who's the former first-round pick for the Eagles, has gotten some run. They also really like this Brandon Jackson kid they, that was previously on the Raiders. They pulled him off the pra- uh, practice squad. They promoted him. They've got him. Sheldon Richardson can play on the outside if necessary, though he's been an interior guy. So they've really been sticking with Frank Clark and Bennett on the outside. And the problem has been consistency with the pass rush. If you look at the game against Philadelphia two weeks ago, the Eagles could not keep that front four out of the backfield. Frank Clark was hitting Carson Wentz pretty much every play, it seems like. And then suddenly against the Jaguars, who I don't think have as good of an offensive line as Philadelphia does – They couldn't get any pass rush on Blake Bortles. He was just sitting back there making coffee and then throwing the pass. I mean, it was that's just been the season for them. They have not been consistent. So I don't know if that's directly because Cliff Averill hasn't been there or what. But uh, I guess expectations were a little higher for Frank Clark. He's not been consistent. Bennett maybe has been hampered by the injury situation. 
Marcus Smith has given him a lift at times, but again, you only can get so much out of him as a reserve. Jackson's the same way. So Dwight Freeney was looking really good, and then they cut him, which I still don't understand other than the salary cap ramifications. So that front line, they've had to do more blitzing than what they really wanted to, and that's going to be even tougher to do if Bobby Wagner's not there to blitz or K.J. Wright. If you're asking your backups to do that, you're just asking, you're just giving the Rams points as far as I'm concerned. So they're in a tough spot here this week. Chris Richard's going to have a really big challenge trying to coordinate a game plan, especially with the injury situation. Well, we were talking in our earlier podcast about how this game pretty much, it's for the division. I really see, you know, whoever wins this game is going to win the division. And we were talking about it right after the Jacksonville game when the fights broke out at the end and stuff. And you brought it up earlier. Were you surprised that nobody got suspended from the punches being thrown and the ejections in that game? I'm stunned. Uh, I really thought at least Richardson and Quentin Jefferson were going to get suspended a game. I was really surprised to see the league wasn't doing that. But at the same token, uh, do we ever really know what the National Football League is <laughs> going to do with situations like this? I mean, just look at previous games, that Steelers-Bengals game. Uh, I think a couple guys that got suspended and they upheld their suspension – I'm questioning why those guys got suspended based on previous verdicts. So I just feel like they draw out of a hat sometimes and decide what the punishment is going to be. And and this is why players are so anti-Roger Goodell. It's one of the reasons, the bigger reasons. They they don't appreciate the inconsistency of punishment in the league for things like this. So uh, Seattle's lucky because if they would have went into this game without their linebackers, Wagner and Wright, and then they also had to go into it missing two or three defensive linemen because Bennett easily could have got suspended too. If they would have had all three of those guys suspended, I mean, there's a chance this game ends up being an absolute blowout regardless of what the Seahawks coaching staff tries to do because your entire defense except for Earl Thomas would be backups. So uh, going into this game, having those guys is big, but I am surprised. I really am that at least one or two of those guys, uh, if Quentin Jefferson obviously goes into the stands, then that changes things. But since they were able to stop him before he got up there, uh, they decided that it wasn't worth that. I'm assuming those guys will get a really large fine, but I'm surprised. I'm definitely surprised they weren't suspended from that. Yeah, I was a little surprised too. I kind of, Derek and I were talking about it. I, I thought that the league would, because there were several instances that happened during the game, uh, I thought at least one guy would get suspended to send a message or something, and nothing happened. So, And we weren't hoping for it, obviously, because we don't, I mean, I'd rather play heads up and, and win or lose rather than, you know, win due to a bunch of suspensions. But uh, it, it was just interesting to me that none of them got suspended. I was really shocked by that. I was especially surprised given the fact that some of those guys have a little bit of a history, too. I know Sheldon Richardson's been in some scrums before when he was with the Jets, and obviously Michael Bennett's got a little bit of a history. If you look back at the Super Bowl of fears back against New England, he and Bruce Irvin had some issues at the end of the game when New England was taking a knee, too. So there's some precedent there, uh, but the league opted not to do it. So really, from a game standpoint, this is great because obviously Seattle's going to be a little bit better off than what they would be, obviously still the injury issues to worry about but I'm with you I mean, if the Rams are the same situation I want those guys to be able to play in the game you want to beat the best when you play on Sunday so well I was actually the, the one that really surprised me the most was Michael Bennett because he's the one that kind of set off the whole fracas and you know take going at somebody's leg like that man I thought for sure <laughs> I really thought that and here's the thing I've watched the video now from multiple angles I looked at the all 22 and stuff and, and I've played enough football I remember having teammates in high school even trying to do what he did trying to swat the ball and I think it was just one of those things where 
he was trying so hard to get that fumble punched out, which you're never going to get that to work. I mean, I've never seen somebody actually pull that off, but you're still trying to do it. I don't think there was really any bad intentions there, but then the, the, when you're that aggressive on that play, bad things happen. I remember the Giants and the Buccaneers a few years back when Shiana was still coaching Tampa Bay, and they were uh, trying to rush on QB Neal, and there were major scrum after that. So, I mean, it's not like this has never happened before from the same circumstances. I don't think Bennett was trying to hurt anybody, but it ended up becoming that way uh, after he swiped at the ball. So maybe I'm just giving him too much benefit of the doubt. But looking at the play, that's what it looked to me like. I honestly agree with you. I watched it several times in slow motion, and, and I don't think he was intentionally trying to take anybody's knees out. But unfortunately, the Jaguars didn't see it that way, and that's that's where it all started. And I can understand if you're in the back. It was Fournette that came to you know to his defense right away, and you know being in the background and seeing that from behind, it probably looked a lot worse than it was. It certainly looked worse live than it did in the replay. So I agree with you there. I don't think there was any ill intentions by it, but it did. Boy, it did start off the fireworks. Oh, it absolutely did. And then once one guy got into it, then suddenly you've got coaches coming on the field. And I'm surprised it didn't end up worse than what it did, to be honest. Because once it started, I was like, oh, boy, WWE is breaking out out here. (laughs) Uh, But uh, thankfully, after there was a couple punches thrown, it got limited there. So they got Richardson out of there. Jefferson got kicked out. So they were able to get that stopped. But, you know, if you're going to have a guy defend you, I think Leonard Fournette's probably a decent guy to do that, given his size for a running back. So Sure. Uh, it ended up. We, I think everybody got lucky. The viewer, even I mean, it was embarrassing as a Seahawks fan to watch that unfold. But I think it could have been worse based on the way things started. So we're going into this game. We're thinking, geez, okay, the matchup itself though is still intriguing, even with the injuries. Anytime Russell Wilson's in a game, it's going to be, shall I say, entertaining. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. How do you see Russell Wilson's matchup right now against that Rams defense? Well, he's going to have to really carry this team on his shoulders, and he's been able to do it. I mean, I'm really surprised Seattle enters this game at 8-5. and five. With everything that has gone down, they've had some games that they lost that they had no business losing. So, honestly, they could have a better record. But given everything they've got, being here at 8-5, and five, having an opportunity to, at home, return to first place in the division – and given everything that's happened, I think Russell Wilson deserves a ton of credit. And even this last game, Jacksonville made him look horrible the first two and a half, three quarters. And then I don't know what it is about the fourth quarter, but the guy is just dynamite in the fourth quarter. Already has broke the record for single season touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And he's got three games to add to that record. So I don't know what it's been that has prevented him from being so dominant the first three quarters, but at the end of the game, he's been money. So Even in this game, I think he's going to have to really light it up because they haven't been able to run the football this year for the most part, and they're going to have to score points because the Rams are going to put points on the board, especially if Wagner and or Wright are not playing. Uh, It's going to be really hard for Seattle's defense, even with the home crowd contributing noise. It's going to be really hard for them to get off the field. They're going to give up points. So I think Seattle's got to put up 35 to 40 points to feel good about this game, at least, at minimum. And I I don't remember the last time I said that about the Seahawks' defense, but this is not the Seahawks' defense with all the guys that are out right now. So Wilson's going to have to really buy his time in the pocket. He's going to have to do what he does extending plays. Obviously, the Rams are going to be trying to prevent that by containing and keeping him in the pocket, but he's gotten good enough passing in the pocket that you also can't let him get too comfortable back there, 
especially given his ability to throw the deep ball. That's one of his biggest strengths. Even though he's a shorter quarterback, he can throw that deep ball with the best of them. So you got to pick your poison there. Do we want to let him get too comfortable or do we want to crash too hard and then he gets outside and then suddenly uh, he extends a play and now our corners can't cover the receivers anymore because there's too much time. So he just makes it so hard for a defensive coordinator to try to game plan for him. Well, obviously our matchup in week five, you know, was early in the season and we were able to hold Russell Wilson to under 200 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And, uh, I think you guys had about 60 to 65 yards rushing with Wilson having 16 yards of those. So we did a pretty decent job against you guys the first week. Uh, it was the turnovers that killed us in that game. And we're coming into this game a little banged up ourselves. We've got uh, Kayvon Webster, our starting cornerback, who's out for the season now with a torn Achilles. So um, I'm assuming it's going to be Mikhail Roby Coleman uh, or Troy Hill that steps in and, and takes over that role. So we're not sure what we're going to see there. Troy Hill did a pretty good job last week. And then uh, both of our starting tackles got banged up. And uh, I think they're both expected to play, but they're not 100%. And then uh, Connor Barwin, who's been out with a broken forearm, looks like he's scheduled to come back this week. So I think we're a little better off than you guys on the injury report. But, you know, losing a starting corner, as you know, is very hard to replace. So it's going to be interesting to see how well we can – contain the long ball against you guys with Wilson back there at the helm. Yeah, I think that's going to be a telling tale in this game. And But I also think one thing that's kind of a difference maker, Mike Davis has looked really good the last two games for the Seahawks. Now, the problem has been keeping him healthy for the entire four quarters, but he actually has given them a boost running the football. Poor Thomas Rawls just has no confidence right now, so he's in the doghouse. Doesn't look like he's going to get an opportunity. C.J. Procise is made out of glass, so I don't know if we'll ever see him in a Seahawks uniform again. Guy's been has like ten injuries since we drafted him last year. Chris Carson, we thought maybe we could get back this week, but I don't even know if we'll get him off IR now. He had a little bit of a setback last week, so it's the Mike Davis show. That's a better running situation. Last time we tried to get you guys with Eddie Lacy, and that has been one of the worst experiments this entire season. The, the guy just isn't fitting with our system. He's not a zone runner. So we won't be running him much this week, if at all. He was inactive last week as a healthy scratch. So Mike Davis could be a difference maker in this game. Uh, I know the Rams have had more trouble stopping the run this season than in years past. So I think that's something Seattle's going to try to do, try to get that going more than they had last time they played the Rams, give Russell Wilson a little more balance. And then obviously with the corner out, they're going to be taking their shots, and they always do. But hopefully he's a little better with the decision-making than last week. He really tested. Jalen Ramsey's an elite corner, so I'm not worried about that necessarily. But he took a few shots that maybe he shouldn't have in that game, which is maybe just indicative of the amount of pressure that he's putting on himself to carry this team right now since it's just not what it has been the last couple of years with all the injuries. The Rams hit Carson, or Carson Wentz 19 times last week, even though we lost the game. Uh, Wentz got pretty beat up by us, and then, of course, the one tackle that tore his ACL, which we're sorry to hear that that happened. But, you know, Wentz and, and Wilson are very similar in how active they are in the backfield, scrambling and stuff. And the Rams hit him a lot. And I'm wondering how that's going to affect Wilson if the Rams can put that kind of pressure on him this week. And you never know with him. When you're watching the games and you see Russell Wilson scrambling, and you're like, all right, we got him. He's, he's on the run, and then he throws it 70 yards down the field to Doug Baldwin for a touchdown, and you're like, oh, my God, did that just really happen? So that's what scares me about this game. I'm not really worried about the rushing attack. Davis has looked better, but I, I really the Rams have given up – 
quite a few yards on the ground, and it hasn't seemed to make much of a difference. It's the passing game I'm really worried about. And us having a corner out, I think, is going to be the difference maker in the game for us. And if we can score against you guys, we, we struggled with the turnovers and stuff last time and, you know, the fumble in the end zone with Gurley and so forth, and we were only able to put 10 points up against you guys. And I think that's the lowest point total we've had all year. Oh, so Minnesota. Oh yeah, Minnesota. That's right. So one of the, one of the lowest. And with your defense being banged up, I have a feeling that we'll be able to put more points on the board. It's just can the Rams defense hold you guys to less? And that's, that's going to be hard to do in Seattle for sure. Yeah, I think the biggest key for Seattle defensively, especially with a linebacker situation, it, that front line that on paper looks like it should be so dominant, but like I said, they've been so inconsistent. They've got to win this game. They've got to be able to get home because last game, Jared Goff, for the most part, obviously Sheldon Richardson got to him a couple times, and that changed the game. Frank Clark hit him when he threw the interception to Earl Thomas. So a couple times they were able to get to him, and they made huge plays. But most of the game, he was just sitting back there buying time, and they, they weren't able to get pressure on him at all with that front line. And the talent they have up there, those guys are going to have to bring their A game this week. If they can't get pressure on Jared Goff, this is going to be a really long afternoon for them just because their corners are so beat up and the secondary is just not the same. Linebacker might just be all third and fourth stringers. So that all scares me. But if they can get some pressure on uh, Jared Goff immediately and obviously stopping the run is going to be big too. I think Gurley, the, the Rams are going to try to get him going early too, especially given how the Jaguars ran the last two quarters against a Bobby Wagner-less defense. So uh, there's a lot of options for them. Like I said, they've got to open their playbook up if Wagner's not in there. There's going to be a lot of things they can do that they wouldn't be as successful doing against him otherwise. But either way, Seattle's going to have to put some pressure on him. Otherwise, the Rams are going to move the ball. They're going to score points. And then it just comes down does Seattle have the offensive firepower to be able to play four quarters with the Rams in a game? Even at home, it's going to be a big challenge. Well, one thing I want to ask you about, too, is that offensive firepower, especially on the offensive line itself. In the past, the Rams have done very well at getting Russell Wilson, pressuring him and causing some problems back there, even though it's the freaking Seahawks, man, with Russell Wilson back there. So how has offensive line been this year? I know you guys did extensive work in the offseason trying to fix it. You made a trade. The guy got hurt. How are things right now with that front line? Honestly, the offensive line has not been an issue the last few games. Ethan Posick had a really hard game this past week in Jacksonville. I mean, that Jaguars front line, though, is the best in football. I mean, they've got so much talent. Clay Campbell, Marcel Darius came over from Buffalo. I mean, you made the rich richer there. I mean, they've got so much depth on that line. And Posick had one of his worst games. But that left side of the line now with Dwayne Brown playing left tackle, I mean, it's so different watching the Seahawks team with a competent left tackle. They haven't had one for several years. So getting Dwayne Brown's been big. Luke Jokel's actually been really solid for us, especially since we got him back from his knee injury. He missed a few games. So the left side's been really good. Uh, the right side's been a lot more of a struggle. Jermaine Effetti is a penalty machine, so he's the weakest point on that line, in my opinion. Justin Britt has really found a home at center. So they've made a lot of progress the last few weeks, and I feel like with the guys they've got there, there's not going to be as much turnover next season either, although I still think right tackle's a position they're going to have to do something with. Maybe George Fant comes back from his ACL next year and becomes the right tackle, and they have him and Dwayne Brown as the bookends. But something's got to give there. I think if if the Rams are going to take advantage this week, they're going to have a tougher time getting pressure off the left side with Dwayne Brown over there. But picking on Posick and Effetti on the right side seems to be their best bet. Those two guys, Posick's been solid as a rookie, but 
those are the two guys that seem to right now be the thing that's holding them back from really being a pretty solid offensive line. I think the left three guys, obviously Justin Brett, Britt being one of them, those three guys have played really well, and they've really limited the number of hits on Russell Wilson the last couple games. So there's optimism there. It's still a Seahawks offensive line, though. So always concerns, and you guys have so much talent up front they can get after the quarterback as well. So I'm intrigued by the matchup. I feel more comfortable with that area, though, than I have in past matchups. Aaron Donald, obviously, is going to always be a nightmare to try to block. But I feel like Seattle's lines play better than they have any time in the last couple of years, at least the past few weeks. I think Fetty's going to get a large dose of Aaron Donald this weekend. I think that's a bad, I think that's you guys, you guys are giving me I'm going to have nightmares tonight now thinking about that. Well, I if if I if I was sitting there and I was and I was Wade Phillips and I'm looking at this matchup I'm going, okay, a Fetty guys like you said a penalty machine. I'm putting my best defensive player right on him and just pounding him all game. That's that's what I see as being a key matchup. If Aaron Donald doesn't sack Wilson a few times, I'll be shocked. And I and I really think that you're going to see Donald lined up over a Fetty most of the game. Yeah, widen him out might be a good strategy, although Posick's biggest – I mean, he's a decent pass protector, but his biggest weakness – and I think this is a good thing as a Seahawks fan because he can fix this pretty easily, but he needs to get a lot stronger. So going against a really dominant defensive lineman has, that's really strong and can get after the quarterback has been an issue for him, guys that can bull rush him. So, obviously, Donald can do a little bit of everything. He can make moves on guys, and he can bull rush. He's, he's the best in the business. But I think either one of those guys is going to have their hands full. The Seahawks are going to have to do a lot of chipping, you know, keep the running back in, maybe have an extra tight end that comes over to help him. They're going to have to do some things to be able to protect Russell Wilson this game. And, and they've gotten better with adapting game plan-wise as the season's gone on. And now they haven't had to make as many adjustments, given the fact that left side seems to be more solidified. But the right side is definitely a concern. So I'm not going to lie that I'm thinking about that potentially being a game-changer heading into this one. Well, you never know what you're going to get from the Rams' defensive line. They, they are one of the more talented fronts in the league. But they still tend to disappear at times in games. And when they do, teams move the ball on them. And then all of a sudden you see Wayfield splitting more to make up for it. So yes, the Rams went after Carson Wentz last time, last week for got hit him 19 times. But there was a large chunk of that game where Wentz did whatever he wanted. And so it really kind of is a Jekyll and Hyde defensive line for me. Sometimes they are they are to me um, a top three defensive line in the league. And the next thing you know, they disappear. So it just depends on what you're going to get. Yeah, they have been inconsistent. I think a lot of it has to do. I mean, it's a major change going to Wade Phillips' defense, and, and they've made improvements, but there's definitely been inconsistency there that I didn't expect from this group. I was really scared when I saw Wade Phillips took that defensive coordinator job because he's such a great coach, but sometimes it takes more than one year to really gel a group, and he obviously get another draft to maybe add a few more players that fit what he's looking to do defensively, but it's still, it's still a matchup on paper that uh, doesn't exactly make me excited, though, like I said, I feel better about the Seahawks offensive line that I have for quite some time, knowing that they've got two veterans, that Jokel's played better than I anticipated. So that's been a nice coup for them. And obviously, Dwayne Brown is a very good left tackle. So that's a huge deal, given the fact that Russell Wilson's normally been running like a chicken with his head cut off, trying to avoid pass rushers pretty much right off the snap. So uh, sometimes I think he's having a hard time adjusting to the fact that he actually has time in the pocket to throw. And sometimes he's been missing throws that – normally he would make on the run, but he's too comfortable, so he's he's actually struggling a little bit. So it's been interesting watching that unfold. 
On the opposite side of the ball for us, Jared Goff had only started that when he played you guys, it was the fifth game this year that he had started under the new system. And now, you know, he's got 13 games under his belt. This will be 14. And he started to look much more like a seasoned quarterback. Do you see that in him? And does he worry you more now than he did in week five? Oh, absolutely. I've seen plenty on film that's indicated to me that he's made a jump, a big jump since that point, and you'd expect as he continues to evolve in that offense. He's, I've been really surprised. I mean, early on in the preseason even, I was like, he just looks like a different quarterback. So that's when, when people tell me coaching only matters so much in the NFL, they have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, coaching is everything in the NFL. Every team's got big-time talent at multiple positions. I mean, the best players in the world, it comes down to which coaches can pull that, uh, you know, maximum potential out of those guys and scheme the best. So the Rams have obviously made a major upgrade there. Just seeing what is happening in Minnesota right now. I mean, you guys had Keenum and you had Goff last year, and they both struggled, and obviously Jeff Fisher needed to see the door. But it's just amazing to see both those guys flourish with teams that are near the top of the NFC right now. So I, I think Goff definitely has taken a big jump since week five. I still think the biggest way to get to him, as with most quarterbacks, if they can get pressure on him, I still – I've still seen plenty of times he's made throws with guys, you know, bearing down to hit him where it seems like his decision making can go a little awry, but he's definitely gotten better and more consistent with his approach and looks, like you said, more like a seasoned quarterback. So that's something that the rest of the NFC West should not be happy about. That's an unwelcome development for them. And obviously the Rams are very excited about that. Well, I'll even debate that a little bit too, because yes, when Jared Goff is pressured, he does start a little bit, but what I've seen from him over the course of the season, is he's even adapting to that now, too. He's able to move out of the pocket more. He's able to step up when there's pressure coming towards him. So he's making better decisions even in those situations than he made, than he's made in previous games. Now, the one exception to me is the Chris Long fumble from last weekend. It was one of the few mistakes he's made of late. But overall, I'm going to, I just want to go ahead and, I guess, warn you, he's making much better decisions. In the pocket. And I don't disagree with you on that. I I think he's improved there. I just, like I said, I still think it's the best way to force him into making bad decisions still. He obviously improved in that area, but I still think as a second-year QB especially that he's a guy, and I'm not saying bring blitzes because, like I said, with the linebacker situation, I mean, Seattle's basically saying, unless we get to you, this is going to probably be a touchdown. You're putting a lot of pressure, even as as great of a player as Earl Thomas is, you're putting a lot of pressure on one man, really, to try to hold the fort back there. And Jacksonville burned us a couple times with that last week. So, obviously, not calling for that, but... Again, at that front four, they have got to get after Goff early and often and, and show that they're actually death row. The nickname they gave themselves before the year, they have not lived up to it most of the season. The Eagles game, they did, but most of the year, that just, that moniker hasn't lived up. Well, when you look at the numbers this year, it's interesting, you know, the tail of the tape, so to speak. The Rams are scoring 30.5 points a game, ranking them second in the NFL. The Seahawks are averaging 24.2, which is putting them in 11th. Total offense, Rams are 367.6. Seahawks are 361.9, six yards difference. Rush offense, Rams are at 114 yards a game. Seahawks are at 105. Pass offense, Rams at 252. Seahawks at 256. Time of possession, 29.32 for the Rams, 30.05 for the Seahawks. Opponents opponents points per game, Rams at 20.4. Seahawks at 19.4. So when you start... When you start really going down these numbers, 
we're like mirror images of each other in a lot of the stats. I mean, obviously we're scoring more points per game, but overall, if you look at the stats, we're right in line with each other. And it, it does make for an interesting matchup, especially in Seattle. And I've been to plenty of games up there in Seattle and it's, it's a really loud, tough place to play. The Hawks nest goes crazy. And I think the advantage that you guys have in this game is obviously your crowd and, and you put Russell Wilson in a position where this is a must-win game for them, just like it's a must-win game for us. And you look at the stats and, and the numbers all the way down, and we're so even. This is going to be, you know, this, if this isn't the game of the week on, on the NFL Network or, or on TV, they're crazy because this game really sums up the NFC West. Should have been yeah. flexed. Yeah, it, I think I agree with you. It should have been, but unfortunately, that decision was made like two weeks ago. So uh, they made the decision not to do that. And it, it, you talked about the crowd noise, and I will tell you, I've been to five Seahawks games this year at the at the link, and it's been inconsistent. Uh, I will say that. Now the Eagles game, the crowd brought their A game, but I will say, like the Redskins game. You know, it was disappointing because they choked the lead away at the end, but also the fans just were. I don't know what it's been the last year or so. It just hasn't quite been the same. The crowd hasn't brought it as much, but it's still, when, when the crowd is on, and I would expect this game, that the crowd is going to be ready to go with it being a division foe and with the playoffs on the line. Really, at the end of the day, the thing that really stinks is whoever loses this game is probably going to, is going to be less than a 50% chance they're even going to be in the playoffs. And, uh, I would say both these teams would be intriguing postseason teams. Even with Seattle's injuries, you've still got the quarterback and you've still got a team that's still got a lot of proven players. And as for the Rams, they've obviously played everybody tough this year, and they've been the most improved team in football. They're going to be a fun team to watch in the postseason as well. So uh, a lot on the line here. Both can still make it, but this is going to be a really challenging game. Obviously, I think if Seattle loses it, uh, they have a much less, a much weaker chance of making the postseason than what if the Rams lose this game would be, especially looking at the remaining schedule. Seattle's got to play at Dallas. The first game, Ezekiel Elliott's back, so that's going to be fun. And then the Cardinals always play well at Seattle, it seems like. Bruce Arians knows how to prepare his team at, this, at CenturyLink. So uh, it, it's a tough window. This is a really huge game for both teams. Now, one more question I have for you about the actual matchups, though. That is, for me, the secondary in Seattle. Uh, what have you guys done to adjust for the losses? Uh, how do you see them matching up with the Rams receivers and tight ends in this game? It's interesting. Talking about tight ends, Seattle's traditionally under Pete Carroll. That's been one of the weak points. But ever since Cam Chancellor got hurt and Bradley McDougald became the starter at strong safety, uh, Bradley McDougald has done a hell of a job on tight ends. He basically erased Zach Ertz a couple weeks ago, and Ertz left the game in like the third quarter. But uh, he erased him. He was a non-factor. And the week before, George Kittle's a tight end in the 49ers I really like. And he erased him multiple times. But I'm actually noticing with Byron Maxwell out there, he's been burned a lot. He's made some nice plays, but he's he's at the end of the line here. I think after this season, he's going to have a tough time getting a job. But knowing the system, he was a good guy for us to pick up. But having him and Shaquille Griffin, who's a really solid rookie, I think the kid's going to be a special player. But he still has some mistakes here and there being a rookie where he can get exploited. I've seen him run a lot more zone since Cam Chancellor got hurt and, and Richard Sherman went out. I think uh, with Richard Sherman, they were more comfortable running some, maybe some cover three, but then mixing in some man. And uh, I just I have not seen as much of that since. 
I'm curious to see what their game plan will be if Bobby Wagner's not in there. Uh, it's going to be really hard. I would even expect maybe even more zone there to try to make up for his lack of athleticism not or his athleticism not being there in the middle of the defense. So they went more zone heavy in recent weeks. Who knows if that actually plays out in the Rams game because of their vertical ability and Goff having a big arm. That might be risky, but uh, that's what Seattle's done more of. If Deshaun Shedd can play in this game, maybe that changes things a little bit too because he's experienced and he's a good press corner as well. So a lot of ifs here. Uh, when you get to late in the season, that's typically the, game, the story of the game. Every team is typically beat up, but Seattle more so than they've been in any of the past few years. There's a ton of injuries, so a lot of ifs. Who's going to be playing, and if so, uh, what are we going to do as far as game planning goes? Uh, They've just been more zone-heavy lately. I'm curious to see what they do in this matchup. All right, well, before we actually get to the predictions, we do have to give a shout-out to our sponsors over the Gold Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Open daily. 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., except on Saturdays, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. On Sundays, they're closed watching Rams football. The owner, Sal, Sal Martinez, opened the shop back when the Rams left L.A. in 1994, the day they left, actually. That's right, the day they left. Kept the lights off for Rams football. Now they're back. He's got a great museum of Rams football, everything ranging from, geez, picture frames to jerseys to helmets. You name it, he's got it. Go in there, get a great haircut, use a promo code Rams. Rams Talk at 714-894-7267. Again, 714-894-7267. Go talk to Sal, have a great football conversation, and get a, get a good haircut. All right, guys, here we go. We ready? Prediction time. We'll go with the guest here. Corbin, how you calling it? I'll tell you what, this is, this is a really, really challenging one, and I've been torn on this, and honestly, thinking about my, my podcast tomorrow, my pod, I'm gonna have to keep the same prediction, it's just been going back and forth, but I think Seattle is going to find a way, but it's gonna be a different kind of way than they've traditionally won. I'm gonna go with, 38 to 35. I think it's going to be a shootout. And that's not been the format of these games between these teams, but this is a different era right now. Seattle doesn't have their defensive guys. They're relying on Russell Wilson in the passing game to ignite them. I feel like they're going to be able to take advantage of the corner injury for the Rams, and and they had some success throwing the ball downfield in recent weeks against some good defenses as well. So I, I think they're going to be able to protect them just enough. The problem is going to be, can you hold the Rams offense in check enough? And it's really going to come down to, can either team get a couple of three and outs, or can somebody create a turnover? And I think Seattle's going to find a way to do that. So I'm going to go 38-35 in an absolute thriller. It should be the game of the week, and it should have been flexed. I think we, we're going to be in for a treat, even with the injuries. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go obviously a different direction. Uh, I think it's going to be 34-24 Rams. Uh, one of the keys is Jared Goff on the road this year has been exceptional. He's got a quarterback rating of 109.9 on the road, second best rating in the NFL through week 14. Uh, he's 1,427 yards, 12 touchdowns, and only one interception on the road. I think he's going to be able to stifle the, the crowd noise. Uh, I think their play calling and the way that they're going to work it out with or without Bobby Wagner is going to be all right. I think the tight ends are going to have a big game. And uh, I think the Rams are going to pull it out more in the fourth quarter and go 34-24. All right. For on my end, I am nervous about the matchup, especially for the Rams offense of all things. The Rams offense, to me, has not been the same as it was in recent weeks 
Yeah, they, pretty much just a Minnesota game. Hasn't looked the same to me. Hasn't looked right to me. And any time you play Seattle, any time you play them, it is, to me, a crapshoot in terms of what you can even accomplish out there. That said, I think this is the week they get healthy. I think this is the week where they involve Todd Gurley more in the game. I think they saw some holes in the Seattle defense last weekend. I'm sure that they have, they've gone through the film on that. I expect a big game out of Gurley. I expect a big game out of the Rams. I'm going to go, like you guys said, shootout. I'm going to go Rams 38-30. So we're all gonna, we're all on the same page. This game's going into the 30s or it's gonna be close. It's gonna be a higher scoring game. I think we can all agree that the defenses, either by injury or inconsistency, uh, the offenses are probably gonna be able to shine in this game. Although, if the weather comes into play, that might change things a little bit. I, I'm seeing there's a possibility of some rain. So, Maybe that slows things down a teeny bit, but I don't expect that to hurt that too much. Offenses are going to be clicking in this football game. I honestly got, I, I really honestly kind of hope it does rain. I want the Rams to focus in the run where I've been so pulling my hair out in recent days trying to get this team to, you know, run the football. Todd Gurley only had five carries going to halftime last week, and I thought I was going to go just jump off a cliff. I was so ticked off. So, I almost would welcome some rain to get them to run the ball some more because if they do, I really think they can take advantage of the Seattle front line. Well, and I think another big difference in the game is going to be the special teams. The Rams special teams has been on fire. And if the game comes down to kicks, I'm really going to be much happier having Greg Zerling kicking the football for us than uh, than uh, your for, former choke guy, Minnesota Viking, that's now a – a Seahawks kicker. So yeah, the the Blair Walsh project, you know, <laughs> it start it started well, uh, but lately has been a really and I've been tra- trying to defend it, but I'm telling you, the last few weeks it's been tough. I mean, he's he's missed some kicks. I'm just like, how do you miss that? And and I just don't understand what's happened to that guy because his first couple years in the league, he was so good. He was one of the best kickers in football for Minnesota, and then that kick against the Seahawks in the playoffs, and I was at that game, negative seven uh, actual temperature outside. So I mean. You can't make excuses or anything like that, but I don't know how any of those guys were functioning out there playing ball, but it was a 27 yard kick and he just hasn't, he hasn't been right since. He started off like 13 for 14 for Seattle and then ever since it's, it's really been a drop off the last few. He had the Redskins game, he went 0 for 3 and then after that it's just been trying to get his confidence back up and then he's been inconsistent. So if it comes down to kickers, yeah, I'd be much more comp- confident with what you guys have. Zerline is uh, – Greg Leg is way better than the Blair Walsh project has been for us. So. And five years ago, we wouldn't have said that. Five years ago, we were we were trying to say, hey, fire Zerline. And, you know, Blair Walsh is one of the best kickers in the league, and now all of a sudden it's, it's flipped. And it's all mental. It's all mental with him. And it's crazy how that goes with kickers, but he just he has not been right ever since then. Even when he started this year well, it's just like something still doesn't feel right. I still don't trust him. So that that's definitely something that concerns me. Uh, Tyler Lockett looks like he's more explosive lately, so maybe somebody is going to have a play in the kick return game. But uh, I think the Rams uh, special teams has definitely played better overall than Seattle, and the kicker's a big advantage. So that is something to consider in this game. Well, I think Zerloin's missed uh, one field goal from 63 or 64 yards and one extra point all season. Otherwise, he's been money. So that's why I say that. And, then, you know, I'm also from the Pacific Northwest like you are, and uh, all my Facebook friends here are pretty much Seattle fans. So uh, I, I saw the, the several weeks in a row of Fire Walsh and why the hell is he on our team and, you know, all the different <laughs> all the different memes going around and everything. So, if if it comes down to special teams, I think that's where we'll win the game. 
Yeah, that could be the real difference maker, the third side of the ball, how many games are actually decided there. And people just don't – I don't think people that follow the game casually understand just how important that third phase really is. So in a game like this with two teams, even with the injuries, that I think are pretty evenly matched and obviously so much on the line, this is the kind of game where a crazy special teams play could make the final decision on who wins. Well, and I think also, don't forget, just what the Rams have brought to the table in the punt game. He almost They blocked one punt last week, should have been two, and they've been doing that all year. They've been a danger with field goal blocks, with pump blocks, and so that's another aspect of it. But, again, the back of my mind, this is, this is the Seattle Seahawks, and I can't help but think they're going to be ready for it as well. So, hey, Corbin, thanks for coming on the show today. I can't help but wonder if maybe, just maybe, we'll wind up on a podcast again later in the year in the playoffs because you just never know these days. But you know, there, there's a chance that that could happen. And obviously, uh, I would love it to see two teams in the NFC West because that means both had to fight through a gauntlet to get there. The, you know, the competition's there, but uh, prepares you for the playoffs more. Right now, though, I've been messing with that ESPN playoff machine, which I will admit I'm addicted to. Every year around Week 12, I start messing with that thing. But uh, it's it's not impossible, but the odds of both of them getting in are, are low because the NFC is so loaded. If, if we were in the AFC, we'd already be in. Uh, but uh, it's a little different ball game with the conferences this year. That's unfortunate. Okay, well, it's time for us to go. Before we head out, again, I just want to ask folks, go on over to iTunes, please. That five-star review would do great things for us. If you love what we do, if you think, hey, we got a decent podcast going here, these guys are good, you know, five-star, please. You can also find us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and, of course, SoundCloud. So go ahead and check us out, please. All right. For Corbin Smith, for our guy here, Norm Hightower. We'll see you next time. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action! Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness! Where else? The NBA. Only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, what's the word, delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.